Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. This is the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Before we get started, I just wanted to say Happy New Year. I hope you all had a good holiday as well, good as it could be during these crazy and difficult times. For my husband and I, it was, well, eating, napping, and watching lots of television and movies. But now here we are in the new year, and it's the first big ticket episode of 2021. First up, Mariel Heller. She's most known for her work behind the camera as the director of Oscar-nominated films, including Can You Ever Forgive Me and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood but she recently returned to her acting roots for a starring role in The Queen's Gambit. Heller plays Alma Wheatley, mother of a 1950s chess prodigy played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Then later, from the pages of Variety's new Our Town section, I talked to Tony-winning Broadway star Brian Stokes Mitchell about his work with the Actors Fund. So stick around. I'll be right back. For your awards consideration, the HBO original series The Undoing, the thriller that TV Guide calls Razor Sharp, starring powerhouse actors Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, whose performances NPR hailed as magnetic and GQ called superb, the series follows an affluent married couple who seem to have it all until a murder sends their lives into a tailspin. What will be left once the dust settles? The Undoing, now streaming on HBO Max. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Mariel Heller had a lot of people scratching their heads when they saw she had a starring role in one of Netflix's more recent obsessions, The Queen's Gambit. We're used to seeing her behind the camera as a director, but she says she couldn't pass up the chance to play Alma Wheatley, the mother of a 1950s female chess prodigy. I talked with Heller over Zoom from her New York City area home. I am not exaggerating. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. My husband and I, on a Saturday sat on the couch and did the entire series. How was it? How was doing all seven in one day? Well, obviously we love it because we did it. We could not stop. We could not take our eyes off of it. It was fascinating. Like it just, we're both sober. So the whole addiction and alcoholism really, I mean, yeah, bam, you guys got it. It is real. You know, a real in a really, for us, a cathartic way, maybe. Um, I don't know anything about chess. I don't want to learn how to play chess. This has not inspired <laughs> me to learn to play chess. Um, it's just both of you, the 
chemistry between the two of you is so like beautiful, but like wrought with something and just, it's just, did you expect at all the reaction? Cause people are obsessed. Oh, no. No way. I mean, if anything, yeah. I thought, are, is the world going to think this show is boring? Like it's a show about chess. I don't know. I just, I worried, you know, Scott and I are, are friends. We're good friends. So I got right. to start watching cuts pretty early on. Um, and once I saw it, I was like, oh, he really found a way to make every chess match emotional. And I didn't, totally expect that. Like I knew what Anya and I had going on between us and I felt really good about the kind of interpersonal stuff that was happening on the show. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea how the chess was going to play out. Like I just wasn't sure it was going to feel compelling and I wasn't sure it was going to feel, cause I don't know anything about chess either. And so I, I was nervous about, I mean, truthfully, I was nervous mm. about it or I thought maybe it would be like a niche, like a niche little show that, right. you know, intellectuals liked or something i mean it could be any game i mean it's like you just realize it has to do with the kind of the match the mind games that they're playing with each other and whether they feel prepared for what's happening or not and I, so it was just so much more character based the, the the plane of chess was character based which right. i didn't expect him to do such a good job and beyond that the the way they shot and edited the chess was so visual and beautiful and interesting and they had to figure out a way to shoot the chest differently for every match and it was just like i thought they just did a beautiful job and i knew when we were filming that the cinematography was incredibly gorgeous and that the set design and the costume design was just like lush and stylized and beautiful mm. and i had a lot of fun you know being on set where i wasn't responsible for all of those elements like normally i'm the one who's having to think through right. all how everything is going to play with each other and i just had one job so i got to kind of just enjoy it and see <laughs> all of these ideas come together that i wasn't i don't know i wasn't responsible for so i was blown away when we were on set by the way everything was coming together and just how gorgeous the show was going to be i knew that was there a part of you that had a hold back when you were like, oh, I want to uh, direct that, no. I mean, yes and no. Honestly, it was really a joy for me to not have that responsibility. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, it's kind of like being around someone else's kids, you know, where you're like, oh, <laughs> not my problem. <laughs> someone else's kids are having a tantrum, there's almost a delight in watching that other kid have a tantrum. <laughs> Because you're like, that's not my problem. And sometimes I would feel that way on set where it was sort of like, well, this is someone else's kid. I, I don't have to deal with this. And I'm so glad I don't have to deal with this. Um, and then sometimes I couldn't turn my brain off and I would be thinking something through. But Scott and I are such good friends and he's a very confident director. He's not, you know, I always say like, I think a sign of a true confident director is being willing to like hear other people's opinions while you're mm -hmm. working. Mm -hmm. And so he would ask me my opinion all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I know it was valuable for him in some ways to have a friend there who could kind of help sometimes bounce ideas off. Cause you always run into things when you're directing where something's not working and it, a huge amount of directing is being able on your feet to problem solve and go, what's wrong? Why isn't this working? What's 
I had this mm -hmm. plan and something's wrong. What is it? And so sometimes if I saw him having that moment and it's usually as a director, it's a solo moment where you like sit in the corner and kind of do this and mm -hmm. you're trying to figure out something. And I would sometimes just meander over to him and go, you know, can I help? What, what's wrong? And he would just go, Oh, this isn't working. And I can't figure out why. And we would go, okay, well, how can we solve this? Or I'd say like, how can I help as an actor? Maybe I can do this or maybe I could change, you know, whatever it was, mm -hmm. I could help. And that was really nice because I just thought, man, I would love to have that on set with me. <laughs> I rely on, you know, my DP and I tend to work with DPs who have like a director's brain so that I can have somebody to do that with. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was, he, he also loved to tease and joke that everybody wished I was directing and like, oh, what does Mari <laughs> think? Everyone just wants to know what Mari <laughs> thinks of our... <laughs> <laughs> of our shot list for the day or whatever it was and I would always go like no I'm not backseat directing I swear um so it was our running joke and everybody would always joke that if he if he felt ill I was there to pick up the slack but <laughs> the truth is I I loved getting to just do my one job of being mm. Alma it was fun well being Alma I mean obviously we know you have some acting background but yeah you didn't go just from like, okay, you know, slowly all of a sudden you're the co-star in a show. You went from, you had a couple of acting things here and boom, then you have this whole show. Well, okay, so I spent most of my life thinking I was gonna be an actor. I never intended right. to be a director. I never intended to be a writer. I went to theater school. I went to UCLA. I studied acting. I was working in theater. I, I was dedicated for the majority of up until I was probably 27 or 28 to being an actor and I was working as as an actor in off-Broadway theater and but for me something was missing because I felt I stopped I stopped feeling creatively fulfilled by acting because I wasn't getting parts that felt really challenging and exciting and um and I wanted to be more in in control of my own creative life which some actors get to, but not everybody does. You know, a lot of acting mm. is waiting for people to let you do your job. Right. So I started writing really with the like, I want, I have things to say. I want to be in charge of my own creativity and, but never with the intention of like, I'm going to give up acting. You know, I had really studied for years and years and years to be an actor and loved acting. But then I realized that, that all that studying of acting lent to my writing and especially lent to my directing because it's the same language working with actors right. is the same thing you do as when you're when you're an actor go and you're doing a scene with somebody that's the same skill i would use as a director to help two actors figure out a scene and i started to feel like it was this secret superpower that i had spent so many years mm -hmm. studying acting that that lent to me being a certain type of director, you know, that I could really get in the dirt with the actors. I could really like figure out the scenes from the inside with the actors. And so in many ways, I've been practicing that craft for years and years and years. I just haven't been the one in front of the camera. I've been doing that same fun work with the actors mm -hmm. just as the director. So going back to it, it didn't feel like, oh, this was my first acting job. It just felt like, you know, in 10 years or whatever, it felt more like 
oh, I'm just doing a different part of the machine. Like I was this part of the machine for these projects and now I'm going to be this part of the machine mm. for these other it, Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's just sort yeah. of, as, it's different pieces of the same whole. Mm. So Alma, what do you like about her and what was the most challenging part about her? I mean, I loved her. I found her to be so empathetic. I mean, I just felt for her, especially thinking about her as a woman who was really trapped by her time period, as somebody who could have been something so much greater than what she was allowed to be, and that she was stuck in this loveless marriage, never got to follow her dreams, never got to, you know, never got to pursue being a pianist, which was really her true passion and love. And, um, and so immediately my heart broke for her with all of those elements and seeing her pain. And then there is this air of mystery to her, which, um, you know, there's like little hints of things that she's lost a child and that she has this sort of painful past, but it was never like fully, it, it was, I just got these hints of this much mm -hmm. deeper, more complex, painful past that then I could just kind of take and run with and figure out how that would lend to a person. You know, I just, I pictured her just, she's stuck in this weird, it's almost like a doll's house. You know, she's stuck in this house, drinking in the middle of the day, just like with this pain, with this undiagnosed addiction and depression. And, um, so all of that was just exciting because it felt like, wow, she's so rich. What a rich character to get to play. Mm -hmm. But then there was this really fun, exciting relationship where she also sees Beth following her dreams. She sees Beth taking a path that she would never have imagined a girl could take. And it like awakens something in Alma where she gets to mm -hmm. kind of realize maybe she's not dead yet and she can kind of rejoin the living. And that was just such a fun arc to get to play, mm -hmm. to go from being in such a, she almost starts off dead and then mm. kind of comes back to life. And then- <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> yes. Will we, ever, will we ever see an Alma prequel? Cause like you said, we got- <laughs> Scott and I joked about it. <laughs> Stop joking, do it. Scott and I, he's got so many projects he's doing it, as do I. But we did joke about it. We joked about the huge payday we're going to get when we when we do the Alma spinoff. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I mean, you know, the funny thing about this too was all the stars aligned for this project to happen for me. You know, mm -hmm. I I do tend to have a really busy schedule, and yeah. Uh, I've gone back to back with multiple movies and Scott's tried to get me to be in projects before and I've never had time. And this one, I like slotted into this perfect little window of time where I had three months off and before I needed to start press for a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And so it kind of worked perfectly. If my character had lived into more episodes, I probably wouldn't have been able to take the part, you know? <laughs> Um, and I'll probably never have time to do another one again, but that's what made it fun and special too, was it just sort of all lined up in a way that it felt like, oh, I'm so glad that worked out. Also before the pandemic, I got to go live in Berlin 
and with my family and spend two and a half months like getting to know a whole new city and just having the best time on set with everybody just such an adventure before the world mm. shut down it was so i'm so grateful for it but like you said you had this three months off was there a part of you like that said i just want three months off yes <laughs> very much in fact i had a i had a trip planned to go to Hawaii for my 40th birthday. I turned 40 while we were filming and I was going to get my birthday. family to go to Hawaii. It was like the first vacation we were going to have in years, really. And yeah, and I had to really kind of give up my time off in order to say yes to this thing. But I also thought, who gets handed something like this? Like, I, this is an opportunity I cannot pass up. Mm. But it was really hard. And then I thought I'd go this year for my 41st birthday and have that trip with my family, but that didn't happen. I was really looking forward to like getting my parents and my brother and my niece to all be together in a house in Hawaii and just have this like celebrate my birthday, which I don't usually make a big deal about, but like turning 40, it just felt like, let's do something. Let's really spend that time. Right. Ah, oh, you know. So let's talk but, about Alma's Alma's look because it's just yeah. I know there's the cliche like was it uncomfortable because it was like wolves and it was like that pencil skirt and all that so how comfortable or not comfortable um it was not comfortable at all I came yeah. home every day saying to my husband like oh my god I'm so glad I was not a woman back then it, <laughs> it was incredibly uncomfortable I mean they did their best to make it comfortable for me but but um well, the first thing was, you know, I went in to meet with them and I had long red hair with bangs. And so the first thing was really uh, them trying to decide how they were going to make me look. And their first idea was to have me be like blonde, like I wanted to be Marilyn Monroe. And then decided, no, we're going to go this other way and go dark. And they were like, will you cut your hair? And I had this moment of truth where I was like, oh, I ask actors to cut their hair all the time. I have to say yes, because I want actors to say yes to me. <laughs> and I let them cut all my hair off and I donated it. But I, um, but then everyone thought it was a wig the whole time. And I was like, why did I <laughs> even cut my hair off? Like people I'd be acting with thought I was wearing a wig. I was like, That's oh funny. man. <laughs> and, <laughs> They, they did pin curls in my hair, hand did pin curls every morning. So I had a 4 a.m. call every morning and it was like three hours I had to sit under a dryer in order to have wow. that look. And I should have just had a wig and Anya would come in and they would just put on this <laughs> wig and I was like, oh, why did I do this? Um, you said you donated your hair. Where did you donate it to? I donated it... Um, now I'm going to forget the organization, a kids with cancer organization for wow. wigs, but there were a bunch of different organizations that had different guidelines of like, it had to be this many inches. It could never have been dyed. Mine had been dyed before. So I found an organization who took it. I, I asked a friend of a friend who had gone through cancer treatment to give me a list of different organizations that were good. And then I donated wow. it. That's amazing. Yeah, no, that was nice. That felt good. And you, you... it was, and it was honestly really freeing to just be like, who cares? It's just hair. Just cut it off. Feels Goes good. 
feels good to just change things up. Um, and my, the, I, the, I was the most worried about my kid and cause he kind of would always, as a baby would always play with my hair and it was sort of this like security blanket for him. And so I let him do the first cut. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. And, and then, then he was okay with it. Cause he was like a part of it. You know, you hear stories about kids freaking out when their mom walks in and looks totally different and they like burst into mm -hmm. tears. So I didn't want him to have that. So you gave him yeah. some ownership of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Anya, tell me about working with her. The, how do you how do you look at her eyeballs? I mean, those beautiful eyes. I know. She was just great. We got along like gangbusters from the moment we met. You know, um, it was just very easy, truthfully. And I mean, Scott runs his sets in ways that are really similar to me, where it just feels like relaxed and fun and not like a lot of pressure, it just was mm -hmm. really, really nice. So we met in Toronto when we started filming and she and I went to dinner right away and just kind of immediately had like such a nice friendship that it, it was really, really easy. And then when I got to Berlin, we stayed in the same hotel and just got to like spend time together in a way that was really, you know, I kind of felt like, <laughs> I, I want to pretend I'm like her big sister and not old enough to be her mom, even though I'm old enough to be her mom. <laughs> but I felt like I had kind of a big sister thing with her a little bit of like, um, just the way I sort of, the affection I had toward her and the way I felt sort mm -hmm. of protective of her and her, um, I don't know, it was, it was a nice, we had a nice decor, like a nice decorum between us always. Um, and it was really, it was, we both, loved the relationship on the page so much. We loved mm. who Alma and Beth were and the kind of dance of it and the potential that they have, even though it's not perfect and it's, they're both so damaged and there's so much pain. Um, I think that we, we both wanted to do right by that relationship. Right. What was it like doing some of the, you know, there's some darkness here, obviously in the show. What is it like doing those you know, there have been scenes in your own movies that you directed or you wrote that are very dark. What's the difference about walking away from a scene like that as a director and mm. then as someone, you know, who is acting that darkness? I do think it's a little harder to let it go when it's in your body, you know? Mm. A lot of, um, everybody kind of approaches acting in a different way, but for me, a lot of it comes from the voice and like the the tension that you might be holding mm -hmm. in your body so right. if you're feeling pain kind of identifying where you're feeling pain and sometimes these are the same act exercises i sort of do with the actors that i'm directing of like trying to help them access something from a physical point of view um but living with it in your body is harder to get rid of you know it's mm -hmm. um but it's also sort of cathartic so it's both sometimes mm -hmm. as a director it's all here so you go home and you're still sort of in it and i think as an actor sometimes you kind of are getting it out like it's like you you got the release <laughs> I, don't, I don't always feel that as a director that i get the the release um but i also just i don't know i have fun even in sometimes the darker scenes like i was sort of 
I had too much fun playing dead in this. That was my next question. What was that like? <laughs> I just was, I just felt so, well, because we filmed the scene with me in the bed the whole time she did this long monologue, which the camera in the, the edit they used, they just panned to me at the end, but I was there the whole time <laughs> with my eyes open, really working on like super shallow breathing and trying to be dead. And I just had so much fun with any time someone would walk past me, like jumping up <laughs> at them or like just being, <laughs> I don't know why, I just was sort of delighted by the whole thing and coming in early and getting this sort of dead makeup put on. And, you know, that's the fun make-believe part of acting that mm. you get to just play and do something that you, is so different than normal life. That's, it's a, I didn't, I wasn't required to do anything emotional that day. I was just in bed dead. Well, like you said though, like you can't smile, you, that's sort of. It was hard, but it wasn't the like old... the darker, you know. Right, um, right. It wasn't like the kind of heavier scenes, you know, this, the scene, the scene where I met the piano and my husband is left, like that was a scene that I was like really emotionally invested in and feeling like mm. I wanted to get right. And I, I had a hard time, you know, eating lunch that day or concentrating on anything but like being in the scene. And that, that's a different mm. kind of concentration. Somehow I, I didn't need that to play dead. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you just um, with the pandemic, obviously Hollywood is in this completely weird state. Yes. What it, what do you think this does for independent film, for smaller films? Oh my God, it's been my huge worry. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what the state of film festivals and these normal circuits that we get get to see independent films. I I, I worry about it, you know. I and I worry about organizations like Sundance, who were obviously were my creative home and supported me as an artist in ways that was just so valuable. I mean, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them and for the Sundance Labs and Michelle Satter and the people who, and it's where I met Scott Frank, coincidentally. Right. Um, he was one of my advisors at the Sundance Labs, actually. Wow. Um, but- And right there, that's, that, that's such, so beyond important and will yeah. that continue? That's my biggest fear. And yeah. how can organizations like that who are losing everything right now, I'm sure, funding wise, how can they continue to support artists? I mean, it's, I don't know. And there's something about being in film festivals and seeing a movie that you might think of as small, but seeing it on the big screen and it having weight and it having um, an impact in a different kind of way that, I don't know. I worry about virtual screenings yeah. just not having the same impact. Yep. And how do we discover new artists in this world? And how do we let people, I don't know. It's, I, I mean, I'm talking to so many of my director friends about this, of like, what is our future? Cause I, I want to make movies, you know, mm -hmm. I like working in TV, but my real love is Oops. making movies. Yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, obviously, I say this all with the caveat of like, there's a lot of things that are harder than this in the world right now. Yes. And I know we are very lucky. And these are champagne problems to have. But as somebody who's dedicated my career 
to making movies, it's really hard to not know what the future of film is. And it's hard to know, not know what the future of theaters are or whether we're gonna be, how we're gonna be creating work. It just feels like we're in limbo. Well, stay safe, be well, and hopefully the next time we talk, it'll be in person. That would be great. Okay, take care. All right, bye. bye. That was Mariel Heller. I'm going to take a short break, but when we return, I catch up with Tony winner Brian Stokes Mitchell. For your awards consideration, I May Destroy You, the fearless HBO original series written by and starring Michaela Cole. The Atlantic hailed the series as a brilliant, explosive consideration of modern sexual mores, and the New York Times calls Michaela's performance riveting and impossible to turn away from. The series explores questions of sexual consent in contemporary life and how, in the landscape of dating, we can make the distinction between liberation and exploitation. I May Destroy You, now streaming on HBO Max. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Brian Stokes Mitchell, who won a Tony in 2000 for his work in the musical Kiss Me Kate, has been the chairman of the Actors Fund for 16 years. The fund offers help for people in the entertainment industry facing financial hardships. While the organization normally distributes about $2 million annually to 1,500 people, those numbers grew to more than $17 million to 15,000 recipients since March. I spoke to Mitchell from his apartment in New York City. How do you even, can you, as an organization, plan for the future when you're, when the now is happening so much? Does that make sense? Yeah. Wow. That's a great, great way to put it. Um, yes. I think with an absolute yes, we can plan for the future. The question is, is the future coming the future that we've been planning for? So right. I think the most important thing is for us to be able to stay facile and um, be able to change and see what's happening. We, we don't know when Broadway is going to open. We don't know how many people, I was just listening to the news yesterday and they were saying if the vaccine continues um, on the pace it is now, uh, it's going to take us 10 years to reach you know, uh, immunity. Now, obviously, it hurt immunity. Obviously, there are have been upsets and there have been problems with it. And now Joe Biden is hoping you know to get 100 million people vaccinated, I think, each month. So it obviously needs to change. It can't go in the way that it's going now. So we have to adapt and see, is that indeed going to happen? We have to see, is the is the vaccine indeed going to be uh, um, uh, the 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 cure that we've been looking for? Is it going to indeed stick? Um, I think mm. so. It seems to be. Um, we can be optimistic about that and we can plan for that kind of future. Uh, but we have to also be aware that anything can change at any time. I mean, if there's anything this last four years, but particularly the last one year has, has taught us, it's that the world can shift under our feet very, very quickly and very in, in very unexpected ways. And we have to be on top of that. And it's one of the things that I'm most proud about, the Actors Fund, about about the work that Joe Benincasa, the staff, David, everybody there has been doing, and our board as well. Everybody's been very, very facile. Uh, and it's thanks to Joe and, and his his uh, his brilliant head and his planning and his um, just knowledge of not only the organization, but kind of of the world of human nature of all of these things um, that has allowed us to kind of stay ahead of everything. He, everybody was working from home and we shifted so that we could um, uh, 
uh, accommodate all of these people that were going to be asking for emergency funds. And many of the people on the staff retrained so that they were going to be able to do this, you know, and we still have lots of questions. Are we returning back to the offices, you know, as we did before? Do we need to? Do people want to? Is it necessary? I mean, these are questions that everybody is asking. And um, and the Actors Fund is no different. So, um, so will people still need us? Yes, because people are going to be hurting into this new year for quite some time, particularly yeah. people in show business. Um, I also was just reading yesterday how um, uh, basically they're going to go on a hiatus in Los Angeles because uh, of all of the cases there right now. And that means lots of people aren't going to be working. Can you imagine the day when, and I don't know how it will happen, I don't know if it's Cuomo who does it or someone says theaters are now open. Yeah. Take me to that day where you're standing in front of a theater and you know they're opening the doors because people are going to go see a show again. Well, I think there are going to be a lot of tears backstage and in the audiences as well. Um, yeah. When, you know, when the curtain goes up and probably when the curtain comes down as well. And because, uh, again, we've been like the canaries in the in the in the coal mine, you know, people in show business, you know, right. the first to like <laughs> kind of pass out <laughs> and um, to see us all revived once again is going to be a, a beautiful, wonderful celebration because uh, it when we're back, that means everybody else is going to be back. Our hotels are going to be back. Our restaurants are going to be back. Tourism's coming back. New York's coming back. And art is such a vital part of most cities as well. Um, people don't really realize it's a it's a huge industry. It's it's larger than tr the transportation sector is what right. we make as a country from art and a number of, of sectors uh, as well. And, and it's because of all the ancillary businesses that rely on on uh, on the theaters that, to bring in uh, uh, tourists and to bring in, you know, hotels and, 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 uh, restaurants, you know, the, 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 uh, the money to those industries. So I, I, my guess is they'll, they'll be crying as well. Tears of joy. Um, when we all come back, um, and, and I, man, I want to be, I'm going to be in a seat in one of those theaters on that first <laughs> show. I really look forward to doing that and, you know, and doing some ugly crying next to the person that I'm sharing the armrest with that I don't know and is not wearing a mask and we're sitting there together doing ugly crying together. I look forward to that. For more about the Actors Fund, go to actorsfund.org. Well, that's it for this episode of The Big Ticket. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mark Malkin. And don't forget to read just for Variety in the pages of Variety or at Variety.com. Until next time, take care and please wear a mask. For your awards consideration, the critically acclaimed HBO film Bad Education, starring Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney. Vox calls their performances stellar as Long Island school district supervisors who find themselves in the center of scandal. Don't miss what IndieWire calls a masterful and diabolically smart crime story. Bad Education, now streaming on HBO Max. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family 
cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.